welcome back to the Carolina Talk Podcast. As always, guys, I'm your host, Jacob Turner, and we are here for the Syracuse Review Podcast. And man, where do I even start with that game? Such a weird game for the Tar Heels. Such a disappointing game on how it ended for the Tar Heels. And... Man, it's just a tough one to take. I, I know it's a few days after I'm recording this one on Tuesday. This podcast will, will be released on Tuesday. So I've had about two, two and a half days to reflect on on the game. And, you know, it's one of those games where I think it takes about two days to really understand it. I had to go back and watch the highlights a few more times and look at the stat lines and, and read some, some recap articles on the game just to really kind of wrap my head around what I saw. Um, a, a super long game in over four hours. Um, the game lasted over four hours, so it was just a weird game all around, and obviously Carolina ended up uh, losing in overtime, double overtime, 40-37 to 37 to, to Syracuse, and, and their backup quarterback, really. Um, Eric Dungy obviously got benched in that game, wasn't performing very well, did okay. I mean, to me, I, th- I didn't think he was going to get benched. I didn't think he was playing that bad, and obviously, you know, that ended up happening, and the backup QB ended up stepping in and and playing really well and Tommy DeVito. So, yeah, it was just a disappointing game from a Carolina perspective. And, and man, there's just not much else I can say about it. So, to be honest, wasn't really looking forward to having to, having to do this podcast. I always enjoy coming on here and doing it. But just after such a weird game and, and after such a disappointing loss, it's hard to come on here and, and really stay positive with it and, and continue to uh, – you know, have a positive outlook on this team and on the season. But, you know, that's that's the mindset I'm always going to take in, into Carolina football and into supporting this team. So going to try to make this podcast as positive as I can because I think there are, are a lot of positives to take away, which we'll get into in a little bit, and also some negative, obviously some negative things to take away as well. But overall, I think this game was just a, a game that really sums up Carolina's season and, and maybe even sums up how – Carolina has performed over the past two years. Um, Carolina's record in the, I guess we're about halfway through this season. If you go, go all the way back to, to last year and about a season and a half, I guess, all of last year and about half of this year, Carolina's been 4-14, four and 14, only four wins and 14 losses going back to the season opener against California last year in 2017. And two of those victories have come against Pittsburgh. So only two ACC teams, only two Division One. FBS level teams we beat and the other two victories came against FCS level opponents in Old Dominion and Western Carolina so you know looking back it's it's been a disappointing few years for, for Carolina football and from a Carolina uh, fan perspective on, on the football side but not going to focus on the negatives right now too much let's go ahead and switch our focus and jump right in like we always do to the Syracuse review let's take a look at this game because like I said guys just a weird game um, and just a just a disappointing loss for the Tar Heels. Can't can't reiterate that enough. But you know, obviously Syracuse, like I stated, twelve uh, twenty game. Um, not a very hostile environment for for North Carolina to have to go into. I'd say the Carrier Dome was halfway full, maybe three fourths of the way full. So it wasn't a very hostile environment for the Tar Heels. Um, or a noon noonish game. Obviously, always gonna 
be a little bit of a weird game for people and, and players having to play in at such an early time, especially having to travel up there. And, you know, if you really think about it, playing at noon, you're up early in the morning, I'd say 8 o'clock, 8.30 at the latest probably. And you're getting to the stadium by about 10 o'clock. So, you know, you got short amount of time to eat, short amount of time to get ready, mentally prepared to go into the game. And, you know, at 12.20, you're ready to hit. So, not a huge fan of noon games, but Carolina's obviously got uh, a few more in a row coming up with that Virginia game being announced at, at 12.20. And then the following week, uh, the home game against Georgia Tech, uh, a 12.15 homecoming game. So, a little bit disappointed to have homecoming at 12.15, but, you know, it's a card you're dealt and you just got to keep playing. But um, looking at statistically at, at North Carolina, the UNC offense um, played Played well. I mean, if, if you think about it, they scored 37 points. Uh, 37 points you would think would be good enough to win a game. And 37 points is a lot. And Carolina ends up losing by three because Syracuse scores 40 of them. So oh, 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 that's one of the reasons, in my opinion, that it was just a weird game. You know, the Carolina offense didn't play horrible. I thought I thought for the most part, to be honest, they, they played pretty well. They played solid. They, they made some mistakes. Obviously, Michael Carter fumbled again in a similar situation. Um to, to when he fumbled against Virginia Tech uh, in the fourth quarter. And and you didn't see him in the rest of the game when he fumbled against Syracuse. And, and instead, it was kind of the Antonio Williams show because so it's kind of been a back-and-forth um, performances, if you want to say that, by Antonio Williams and Michael Carter. Uh, Michael Carter rushing for over 100, 150 yards last week against Virginia Tech. And then Antonio Williams rushes for over 100 yards this week. So it's good to have two running backs in the backfield they can get it done, but if we could just get those guys clicking at the same time, this UNC offense would be even better. But obviously Nathan Elliott, 34 completions, 52 attempts, uh, 321 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions. So Nathan Elliott had a really good game. Um, I think that stat line is is a, a little kind of lies to you a little bit. Um, some of those huge passes were just, you know, shovel passes, if you will, to Daz Newsom running across the middle. I know one he took for you know, 40 or so yards, just a little quick little pitch to Daz Newsom, and that ends up counting, you know, for Nathan Elliott as a pass. So big chunk of those yards were off a of little short plays like that, screen passes, bubble passes. And if you take those away, if you take his receiver's ability to get yards after the play, um, based on what Nathan Elliott completed himself in terms of down-the-field passes, he probably only threw for, a, you know, 200 yards or so. So I think that stat line's a little bit deceiving, but Nonetheless, a good game. Um, Nathan Elliott, most passing attempts, 52 without an interception in school history. So, interesting stat line there. And third most completions in school history as well for Nathan Elliott. So, uh, in my opinion, I don't think you want to see Nathan Elliott throwing 52 times a game. Um, I don't think that's what we want to see from a perspective. Um, you know, with Nathan Elliott, having to throw that many times in a game, especially with the running back core we have. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed to see that. I think Elliott played okay, like I said, but the fact that Nathan Elliott is, is being forced to throw about 52 times a game shows me that we don't have a lot of confidence in the running game, um, which doesn't really make any sense to me because Antonio Williams and Michael Carter, in my opinion, on their day uh, are the best running back duo in the ACC and feel free to disagree with me on that. I know I'm a little bit biased as well, but from what I've seen from ACC running back cores this this year, and, and Antonio Williams and Michael Carter 
I'm not saying they have been the best ACC running back duo this year because they, they simply haven't been. They haven't really been able to click on all cylinders in, in the same game, you know, maybe minus the, the Pittsburgh-Virginia Tech game. But I think on their day, they're two of the best running backs in the ACC. So, um, yeah, a bit of a weird stat line to see us throwing so much. I, I didn't think that would be a situation that we'd see ourselves in. But at the same time, I mean, we scored 37 points. So, like I said, that should be enough to win in most games if your defense can play well. And I really, one of the other reasons I think it was such a weird game is because I don't really think our defense played that bad. I don't think Carolina's defense really watching the game played horribly. And then you look on the score line and you look at the the stat line at the end of the game and Syracuse has put up 40 points. And you're like, where did that come from? At least that's how I felt about it. So weird game in that aspect as well. Antonio Williams, like I stated before, 15 carries, 116 yards about eight yards per carry, and that's uh, and actually had one touchdown on that on that opening drive as well. So, Antonio Williams played really well. I thought he ran really hard. Um, you saw kind of what he could do. I thought he had some big runs in the fourth quarter and, and overtime as well. And you know, once Carolina scored on that opening drive, I was a little bit fearful because I remember being at the UVA game. Wow, must have been six, seven years ago up in up in Charlottesville when Ryan Houston was our running back and we scored on the first drive and you know you know being from a from that perspective you're excited you're like okay yeah maybe this Carolina team's going to put up big points today and then we didn't end up scoring the rest of the game ended up losing that game to Virginia um really low scoring game I don't remember what the score line it ended up being but that's kind of what I thought when we scored on the opening drive against Syracuse this past weekend as well as I was like oh man I've seen this before and Carolina doesn't even end up scoring for a while after that until the second half. So they had a really good third quarter, but it's just weird to see a team drive down as easily as we did in the first half on that first drive of the game, and then we can't score again that half. So weird situation there as well. Another another aspect of the game that made it just a, a weird, weird game to watch. Michael Carter, the other running back for the Tar Heels, 10 carries, 24 yards, so only about 2.4 yards per, per carry. And Carter fumbled again, and he said in the interview last week against Virginia Tech that the low man wins um, when he fumbled against Virginia Tech. And, you know, same thing kind of happened in this game in the fourth quarter when Carter fumbled again. And, you know, we didn't see him for the rest of the game after that. And instead you saw Antonio Williams and Jordan Brown a little bit. And I can't really blame him. Carter's, you know, one of our best players, one of the leaders on the team. And that's just uncharacteristic for him to make two big fumbles two weeks in a row. And I think Larry Fedora, you know, while I like to see Michael Carter on the field, I think Larry Fedora was right. You know, one of the big criticisms I've had of Larry Fedora in the past is that I just don't see him getting mad at players, you know, yelling at players, getting in their face. You know, I think that's good and bad at times. You know, you see it from the likes of the best coaches in the country, though, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Urban Meyer. You know, they're not scared to get in their players' faces and let them know. And it's not disrespectful in a lot of ways. You know, I think you see it taken too far, like with Jimbo Fisher grabbing a player's face mask and pulling it close to his face and screaming at him. I think that's a little bit too far. But one criticism I've always had of Larry Fedora is sometimes I just feel like he doesn't hold players accountable. That's why you've seen some suspensions we've had for selling shoes. Um, you've seen, you know, guys make mistakes in games and, you know, just get taken out and never see him again. But you don't ever see a coaching staff member or Larry Fedora specifically getting in guys' faces and, and letting them know. You'll see Fedora sometimes pacing on the sidelines, you know, kind of yelling at himself, yelling to the ground kind of thing. But never really getting in the face of a player and letting them have it. And while I can understand benching Carter after making such a big fumble again, I would have liked to see a little more aggression from Fedora, you know. this is a, He's fighting for his job at this point. And like I said, the best coaches in the country are not scared to hold their players accountable. And 
you know, I think you have to fear your coach a little bit. Uh, I respect, you know, respectfully fear him, if you understand what I'm trying to say. You know, you have to, as a player, fear your coach and want to do the best for him. And I don't think at this point what I've been seeing from players over the past two years, I don't really feel like players necessarily fear Fedora. And I'm not even sure players on this team trust Fedora anymore or, or want to play for Fedora anymore. And I know this team's fighting hard and whatnot, but, you know, just the way Fedora coaches at times, it, it doesn't really show me looking at this team I don't look at him and say, yeah, I think these players are really, really behind Coach Fedora or really fear Coach Fedora and want to are scared to mess up against him. And I don't think it's a thing of being scared to, to mess up necessarily because I think that can make you play worse. But just having high expectations as a player and saying, all right, if I make a stupid mistake in a game, I'm going to be held accountable. And, you know, sometimes I don't feel like players on this Carolina team are treated that way but by coaching staff. So maybe that's just me. Feel free to agree or disagree with what I'm saying there, but that's just something I've observed over the past few years in the Larry Fedora era. But back to the game in hand, sorry to go off on that little little tangent real quick. Looking at the receiving yards for North Carolina, it was a good game in terms of getting different receivers involved. It was probably the most involved we've seen um, the receiving core in terms of spreading it out to different players. Obviously, Daz Newsom had a great game for the Tar Heels, had a punt return, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Also had seven receptions, 90 yards. Uh, that's 13 yards. Uh, per catch right there, so good stat line for him. I thought Anthony Ratliff-Williams had a had a good game as well. Led the team in receptions with nine for 79 yards, about nine yards per catch. Didn't end up with a touchdown, but just so fun to watch. He, I love the stiff arm he gives players. He's, he's so hard to tackle. Rarely does he go down uh, on pass plays. He usually ends up catching it and, and really just, it's almost like punching the guy in the face, obviously not balling his fist up, but the way he stiffs arms is, is just so aggressive and, and fun to watch. So another good not great game by Anthony Ratliff Williams with the expectations we've had for him and how good we know he can be, but a solid performance by him as well. Antonio Williams, six receptions for 38 yards, so he pretty much ended the game with with over 150 yards in total offense. So another good game by him out of the out of the backfield as a as a as a passing option as well. Deami Brown, two receptions, 35 yards, so good average for him, about 18 yards per catch. Antoine Green, obviously going down with what looked like a bad ankle injury. Uh, in the game, and disappointing to see that for Antoine Green. I thought he was trying, starting to emerge in, into a legitimate target for North Carolina, um, and, and we hope that he'll, he'll have a speedy recovery, but he, he looks set to more than likely miss the remainder of the season. Obviously, his ankle was not facing the way it should be. Let's just put it that way. I don't know if how many people saw the play or saw his ankle after the play. Um, believe it was popped back into place because I remember when the cameras were zooming in on him at some point, couple moments after maybe a minute or two after the trainers had got on the field like his ankle was back in the place it needed to be so I'm not sure if he just dislocated it but usually when you dislocate your ankle um, you end up breaking something as well so wouldn't be surprised to see Antoine Green play again this season um, it was disappointing to see him go out because I think he was starting to get some confidence and do some nice things and made a couple of really good catches against Syracuse before getting that injury so prayers up to Antoine Green and wishing him a speedy recovery however long it may take and then Bo Corrales, three catches, 31 yards, about 10 yards per catch, and, and had that touchdown in overtime as well. Um, so good spread out play, spread out stats by the, the receiving core from North Carolina, and I'm, I'm glad to finally see that from a Carolina perspective. It's good to see different guys getting the ball because most of the stat lines you've seen this year, the only two, three guys that you really see make catches are um, Daz Newsom, Anthony Ratliff-Williams, and, and De'Ami Brown. So it's good to see different receivers besides the usual suspects 
uh, getting involved and making plays for this North Carolina offense. So if you look at this statistically, North Carolina ended up playing pretty well. Obviously, over 300 yards passing for North Carolina. Um, Carolina, through Antonio Williams, mostly uh, had a really good game on the ground. If we could have got a couple more guys involved, and if Michael Carter could have had a bigger game than he ended up having, might have been a little bit different of a story and how this game could have ended for the Tar Heels, but obviously ended up with a three-point loss. And like I said, this Carolina offense, in most situations, did enough to win the game. So that's one of the main reasons, before I move on to, to how the defense played, that I thought this game was so weird, is the fact that Carolina played probably its best game offensively of the season, but still in the fourth quarter had chances to win the game. Still put up a ton of, of points and, and, and solid stat lines, but still found, found a way to not put up enough. Um, so, yeah, rushing-wise, Carolina put up close to 200 yards rushing, just a little bit short. And receiving yards-wise, Carolina goes for 321 yards through the air. So statistically, excuse me, North Carolina played pretty well. They played a solid game. And like I said, I'm going to keep harping on it. But when you score 37 points, you should win a game. And instead, North Carolina dropped to 1-5 and and 1-3 and in the conference. So focusing on what Syracuse did offensively and as a result, what Carolina did on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, Eric Dungy started the game and played most of it for the, the Syracuse Orange, ended up with 17 completions, 33 attempts, 225 yards, about a 7-yard average per throw, 6.8 to be exact, no touchdowns, no interceptions. So while Dungy had a decent av- uh, numbers through the air for the amount of time he played, I think the fact that he didn't have any touchdowns um, passing, it, it was a little bit um, of a surprise. I thought Dungy going into this game was somebody I really feared and Obviously, had that one touchdown run with his legs, ended up running for about 42 yards on 15 carries. So he just didn't have the game that I expected. You know, going in on the Syracuse preview podcast that we did last week, I was really harping on the fact that Eric Dungy was the guy that I think if you stop Dungy, you stop this team. You stop the Syracuse offense, at least based on what we've seen from them this year. You know, everything that Syracuse has done, he's their leading passer and their leading rusher, has come through him. And this team was sitting at 4-2 and two before the game. Um, so they've had a decent season and Eric Dungy for the most part was stopped by Carolina only had one touchdown like I said um, didn't have any interceptions but just didn't really do a lot and I think it's one of, that's one of the reasons you saw Tommy DeVito come in and, and Eric Dungy get benched in the second half for Syracuse um, but we stopped Dungy for the most part as an, uh, defensively Dungy didn't really do that much and we still found a way to lose the game so that's another reason this game was just so weird to watch from a Tar Heel perspective is the fact that the one key that I thought the one major thing Carolina had to do was stop Dungy. And for the most part, we did. And then their backup quarterback comes in and lights us up. So just just the unlucky in some ways for North Carolina. But also, you know, it's the fact of the matter is this Carolina defense um, just didn't do enough. It, it, didn't, it didn't make enough plays to win the game, similarly to what we saw against Virginia Tech. And, you know, Carolina could easily be 3-3 three and three right now. And three and one in the in the ACC, and, and instead we're one and five and one and three in the conference. So it's a, it's a game of margins. Football is, and and it's it can be very cruel at times. And I think you know based on how North Carolina performed, I think they did enough to win the game, and also made some boneheaded plays when they had an opportunity to really end the game and close it out, which we'll touch on in a little bit. And, and they didn't do it once again. But Tommy DeVito, the backup quarterback for Syracuse, came in thirteen completions, nineteen attempts, one hundred eighty-one yards, about ten yards per completion, three touchdowns and one interception. So a really good game by Tom DeVito when he came in. And 
a lot of Syracuse fans have, have hyped him up a lot. He you could tell he had a little bit of a uh, a better throwing uh, arm and, and a bit of a, a little bit better accuracy than Dungey. Not as versatile as Dungey with his legs, but DeVito made some great throws, especially late in that fourth quarter downfield vertical. Syracuse was extremely vertical in this game, and the likes of Greg Ross at cornerback and was exploited a lot on that. Hasn't had really two games in a row against Virginia Tech and and uh, Syracuse where he's been in for KJ Sales. And I don't like to throw players under the bus, but I think Greg Ross would admit to you uh, if you asked him that he just isn't playing up to the to the level that he expects from himself. And so Syracuse was exploiting this North Carolina defense vertically a, a ton. Didn't do a lot through the through through the ground. Only had about 140 yards rushing in total, and 42 of those came from Dungy. So if you take away Dungy's runs, um, Mo Neal, the running back for Syracuse, only had nine carries to 68 yards, which is about eight yards per run. So not a horrible stat line or horrible average for him, but no touchdowns. And um, his longest was only 24 yards. So it didn't really do much for for Syracuse. Um, so if you take away Dungy's stats, basically Syracuse only ran the ball about 18 times and had less than 100 yards rushing. 98 to exact to be exact so Syracuse didn't really offer anything on the ground and, and you know passing yards wise is really where they lit Carolina up with uh, Dungy and DeVito combining for 28 completions 52 attempts so through uh, just two two less attempts total than what um, North Carolina did obviously with Anthony Ratliff Williams and Bo Corrales each having a throw and on some trick plays for North Carolina but you know, Dungy and DeVito combined for over 400 yards of, 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 of passing. So that's a decent stat line for Syracuse, and that's enough for most teams to win, uh, especially if you have three touchdowns and only one interception, which all came through DeVito. So, yeah, it's, it's just a weird situation, the fact that DeVito steps in for less than a half and, and lights us up and ends up throwing three touchdowns and one interception. Obviously played two overtimes as well, but still, DeVito comes in and does what um, we've been accustomed to, to seeing from a Carolina a football perspective, guys coming in, whether it's players that haven't done much or, you know, making guys look better than they actually are. And we definitely did that as, from a defensive perspective through DeVito because I think DeVito is a solid quarterback. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised this week as Syracuse prepares to play NC State that they come out completely flat and, and get blown out by, by NC State. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. I wouldn't be surprised to see DeVito's stat line flipped, you know, one touchdown, three interceptions. So, have to be watching that game closely, but DeVito definitely looked good for Syracuse when he w- was called into action, and wouldn't be surprised to see him starting the remainder of the season over Dungy, which is cruel for Dungy, a senior, really led this program, you know, the, really the face of the program, and right now is is looking like he might be the second-string quarterback going into the rest of the year, but, uh, you know, not, not here to focus on Syracuse too much, but receiving yards-wise, obviously Syracuse, uh, 28 receptions, 406 yards, three touchdowns, so all their touchdowns coming through. Uh, wide receivers. Jamal Curtis had a great game for, for Syracuse. Seven receptions, 162 yards, about 23 yards per catch, one touchdown for him. Nakeem Johnson, a guy we talked about in the preview as being a big threat for Syracuse, uh, had a good game as well. Uh, five receptions, 102 yards, 20 yards per catch, about one touchdown, two. And then Ravion Pierce got the other touchdown for Syracuse. Had a pretty relatively quiet game. Two receptions for six yards, so nothing much for him, but he had a ended up having a, a touchdown as well. So uh, Syracuse receiving yards wise played well. They obviously caught over 400 yards passing and receiving. So good game for Syracuse. And statistically, 
just did a little bit better than North Carolina did. Uh, it was a pretty even game, though, if you look at the stats-wise. Obviously, North Carolina had 500 yards of total offense, uh, most of that coming through the air, and Syracuse ended with 546 yards of total offense, so only 46 yards separating the two teams, and that ended up being enough to beat uh, North Carolina in the end by, by three points. And when you think about it, 46 yards on a football field can be the difference between a field goal and, and at a field goal range, So, and that's what the margin ended up being in terms of the game. So Carolina just not doing enough um, on both sides of the ball to get it done and end up losing another heartbreaking loss to to a, a decent Syracuse team. But uh, this was a very winnable game for North Carolina, and I think I predicted a win going into this game when a lot of people didn't, and I really thought that Carolina was going to get it early in that fourth quarter, especially with how they how we outscored Syracuse 17-7 uh, to seven in the third. So decent game by Carolina. Once again, it's just a weird game, like I've said many times, on how it ended up um, ending for the Tar Heels. But, you know, let's focus on the big points um, from a Carolina fan perspective, uh, from a Carolina football perspective. Um, let's focus on the positive first. I always want to be positive with with this podcast. And, um, you know, I'm a fan that even though we're sitting at 1-5 and five and 4-14 four and 14 over the past year and a half, I'm still optimistic about this team. It's still evident to me that this team has a lot of talent. Um, do I think this team and program might need a coaching change? I do. I don't know if it's firing Larry Fedora or cleaning house with your with your coordinators and, and position staff, but something has to change. I thought Larry Fedora had a decent game and also had some questionable calls in the fourth quarter with some of his offensive calls, which I'll focus on in a second. But always want to start with the positives. Like I said, Daz Newsom. First positive for me was Daz Newsom's performance. He was amazing. That punt return he took back to the house was very Ryan Switzer-esque. And I've been saying it uh, all year, really, and didn't really see a lot of out of Daz Newsom last year. He had a decent game against Louisville, but besides that, it's only really the only the real game I remember him you know, contributing in a lot last year. But this year, his performance against Virginia Tech was really good. I thought he played really well against Pittsburgh as well and then was the player of the game for me for, for North Carolina, especially on the offensive side of the ball. This past Saturday against Syracuse, like I said, that that punt return and just the quick moves he makes, the quick jab cuts, how quick he is with his feet, his breakaway speed is very reminiscent of Ryan Switzer. And you know, Daz Newsom did a lot of good things. Had a long shovel pass run for North Carolina. We saw that play a few times. Ran where you know Elliott would get the ball and Newsom would be coming across and he would just pitch it to him with that shovel pass and that fooled Syracuse a few times as well. And obviously, like I said, the play of the game for me was was that punt return and. I think that was the first punt return for the Carolinas taken back in a few years, going back to Switzer's days. So really good to see uh, Daz Newsom kind of coming into his element and coming into his own. And I thought he had a really, really good game. Obviously, like I said earlier in the podcast, was the leading receiver for North Carolina with uh, seven receptions for 90 yards and one touchdown as well. So really good game for Daz Newsom. If he can keep playing like that, he's going to emerge as one of the the most dynamic players in the ACC, and having him alongside Anthony Ratliff-Williams, what a combination that is, especially with some of the young receivers we have in De'Ami Brown. Uh, Antoine Green obviously out for a while now through injury, but he's going to be a really good receiver for North Carolina. And Bo Corrales as well had a decent game after coming back from suspension. is kind of starting to come into his own as well. So good game by Daz Newsom. Thought he was the offensive player of the game for North Carolina. Then focusing on Nathan Elliott. Thought Nathan Elliott was the second big positive for me. I was tweeting about it during the game, but I thought, Nathan Elliott had a really solid performance. 
the one criticism I do have of Elliott is I think he, even when he plays well, he doesn't always do enough for Carolina to win, and you obviously can't put this loss on him. Scoring 37 points, you know, for a good team, a team that is looking to compete in the Coastal like we should be, usually should be enough to win. Um, you know, you shouldn't allow a team to score more than 37 points, especially on the on the road, but Carolina did and ended up losing. But back to my point, I was, I was tweeting about how Nathan Elliott just looked the most confident and composed as I've seen him in a Tar Heel uniform going back to last year, really. I know he stepped in against against Pittsburgh in his first start last year for North Carolina and looked really good, but this was just a really solid performance by him. Like I said, ended up setting a record for most passing attempts without interception in, in school history and also you know, getting a little bit closer to that record of uh, with the third most completions in school history. So I thought Nathan Elliott looked good. I think he looked solid. But like I said, if we could just get a little bit more out of him, he doesn't have that it's or we haven't seen it from him. I'm not gonna say he doesn't have it, but based on what we've seen so far, it seems like he doesn't he doesn't really have that it factor like Trubisky, like Marquise Williams. And I think a lot of that has to do with Elliott's I don't think he's a bad runner, but Carolina doesn't run with him. They don't really give him that option. So it's just based on how the uh is choosing to use him in his system is the only thing he really the criticism or main criticism I have of Nathan Elliott is the fact that he just doesn't have a deep ball. He doesn't have a huge arm. I was shocked to see how well he played really in the first quarter because Carolina, especially on that opening drive and some other drives in the first half, was going downfield. And then it's like it completely switched. And we just started doing shovel passes and screen passes all over again like Elliott didn't have the ability. And he was completing those long passes downfield earlier in the game. So I don't really know why Larry Fedora and his offensive staff decided to Go back to that short game again. I don't know if that's – I know for a fact that that's one of the limitations of Elliott is he just doesn't have a huge arm, so you kind of have to put a game plan in place for him to perform with those short passes. But, you know, he was playing well in the first half going downfield, and then we just stopped doing it. So that was one of my criticisms. Another one of the negatives we'll all get on in a little bit once I get through these positives for North Carolina because I did think there was some some positive things for, for North Carolina. And like I said, I thought Elliott – had a solid game, and if he can continue to play like that, he's going to put Carolina in positions to win, but I still think Cade Fortin is the man going forward, and we'll touch on Cade Fortin at the end of this podcast, but third big positive for me was Antonio Williams. I thought Antonio Williams played really well. Um, it's the second time this year with over 100 yards rushing. This was actually his most yards for North Carolina in a, in a single game with 150 yards of total offense for North Carolina this past weekend, so was really impressed with how Antonio Williams played. Had a, a lot of big runs. Had a couple of runs where if he could have just broke a tackle, would have ended up scoring. Uh, it was a couple. The one thing he doesn't have that maybe Michael Carter has is that breakaway speed. But he's such a bruiser on the on in the way he runs, and he makes you punish. You know, you got to tackle Antonio Williams low. You can't go high on him. He, he's going to run over you and break that tackle pretty much every time. And thought Antonio Williams played really well. Was probably the second best player on offense behind Daz Newsom. Just because, I, like I said, I didn't think Nathan Elliott did enough, so I'm, I'm not going to give him the player of the game. And I think Antonio Williams had a little bit better overall game than, than um, Nathan Elliott ended up having, even though Elliott, you know, that's his name in the record books a little bit with his performance. But, um, yeah, Antonio Williams played really well. It's starting to emerge into a, a really solid running back for Carolina. If we could just get a little bit more consistency out of him, because I think he has the ability to get over 100 yards rushing in every game he plays. And combine that with, with Michael Carter – kind of that bang-bang, one-two punch for North Carolina through the running game. This Carolina team should be should be putting up similar numbers, in my opinion, to what they did against Virginia Tech with, you know, Carter and Williams had 
over 200 yards rushing combined. So I think they should be doing that every game, especially against a Syracuse defense that is one of the worst in the ACC. Um, so Tonio Williams played good. If we could have just got a better performance out of Michael Carter, not sure why he didn't really play as well as you would have expected by him, then this this running back duo would just be amazing, would free up the passing game so much more. And uh, I think that's why you're seeing Carolina getting so close to winning games is because of how our running backs have performed. You know, two weeks in a row, Carolina – you know, arguably deserves to win those games and ended up losing, but it's no coincidence that in both of those games, North Carolina had over 100 yards, 150 yards rushing total. So, um, yeah, Antonio Williams, really good game by him. And then fourth positive, final positive for me was was Patrice Rene. I think Patrice Rene against Virginia Tech was the defensive player of the game for me. Had a really solid game. Uh, obviously got an interception, and then Patrice Rene had a fumble recovery against Syracuse. He's really starting to emerge into the player we thought he'd be. Because if you look at Patrice Renee, he just looks like an elite-level cornerback. I remember I was at the Georgia Dome for the uh, opening game kickoff against Georgia a couple years ago, first season, as Mr. Trubisky is the starter. And Patrice Renee was kind of thrown into the fire as a true freshman against them. And, you know, ever since that game, I think that kind of scarred him a little bit because the past two seasons, we just haven't really seen a lot out of him. And based on his body type, his built, his his quickness and his covering ability, he, he should be the best corner on this team. And now he's starting to emerge into that, especially with KJ Sales being out and, you know, Greg Ross on the other side and just not performing to the standard of a, that a North Carolina quarterback, sh- excuse me, cornerback should be performing to. But Patrice Rene has just really come into his own and has, has really started to play well. I know he got beat on a, on one great pass by, by DeVito in the fourth quarter. Um, it was a vertical pass that he just got beat on. and But that was really the only time I remember him um, being exploited in the game against Syracuse because besides that, I thought he just had a really good game and has decided to, it hasn't decided to start playing well. I think he's just finally figured it out and is playing with a lot of confidence. And, you know, he was on the Larry Fedora live show earlier last week on Tuesday. And I thought it was really interesting to hear his story. A guy from, from Canada who moved down uh, to Virginia, his his senior year of high school because he was you know wanted to make that next step and wanted to you know chase his dreams of of being a a college division one cornerback and you know moved away from his family lived by himself for a year and 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 really learned how to play football and learned how to be the best football player he could be and obviously Canada not being a huge football country you know CFL starting to grow and whatnot but the fact that he was willing to move away from his home at such a young age and and in order to, to fulfill his dream was just a cool story to hear so Really impressed with Patrice Renee and all that hard work he's put in. Uh, it's starting to pay off, and he's playing with a ton of confidence. So long may that continue. But let's focus on the negatives now. We're not going to focus on these too, too long. I don't want to be this to be a super negative podcast. It's not what this podcast was what is ever intended to be. But like I've touched on, I, don't like, I do not like throwing players under the bus. Uh, but Greg Ross, he's being targeted at the cornerback position a lot. Um, and like I said, if you were to ask Greg Ross, I'm sure he'd say he's not playing up to the standard that he would expect. Um, the likes of C.J. Cotman being out. Um, Greg Ross is, is basically your third-string guy with Sales and Cotman being out. So Greg Ross really shouldn't be playing for the Tar Heels this year. He's a young guy, um, and I think a guy that will in a couple of seasons will be a good option for North Carolina at the cornerback position. But, you know, he's had some – he's learning the hard way right now, and he's going through some growing pains. But hopefully he'll come out on the other side of it and be a really solid corner because we've seen Patrice Rene – you know, being that guy that's getting targeted. And now he's the guy that nobody wants to, to throw towards. And Greg Ross is the guy that's being targeted now. And hopefully in a season, a season and a half, he'll be that guy that nobody wants to throw to. And this Carolina cornerback room will be, you know, has the potential to be really, really good. But 
Uh, need to get KJ Sales back, and, and Greg Ross just needs to learn, watch the film, learn from his mistakes, and, and keep playing hard because he, he does play hard out there. He had some good pass breakups against Syracuse. Had some good coverage where Syracuse wide receivers just simply went up and made plays. So, um, But, yeah, Greg Ross has just been getting targeted, and he's been the weak link for North Carolina on the defensive side. And I think if you have Sales there, Carolina is letting up. Um, there's a, a few of those touchdowns in Virginia Tech and Syracuse are getting taken away because I think Sales has them covered. But, um, you know, second negative for me, one of the, in my opinion, the biggest play of the game was um, Carolina was had the lead with about two minutes left in the game. Syracuse was out of timeouts and great play call by the Larry Fedora offensive staff. They run that trick play to Anthony Ratliff Williams out the backfield and he, he opts to throw it uh, to, to Carl Tucker wide open. If, if Tucker catches that ball in stride, you know, he, he's he's taking it to the house more than likely or is at least getting into the red zone. And Anthony Ratliff-Williams put it a little bit short. Obviously, a former quarterback in, in college was – excuse me, in high school, was recruited out of high school as a quarterback and came to Carolina as a quarterback and is now, in my opinion, one of the best playmakers in, in the ACC right now. So just a freak athlete. Ends up throwing that pass just a little bit short. But Tucker gets two hands on it. And you can kind of tell watching uh, – you could kind of tell watching it live that Tucker was more focused on – getting to the end zone. He was more focused on what he was going to do after the catch instead of catching the ball. And I mean, anybody that's ever just stoned football and, uh, or played a uh, pickup football, flag football before, we, I think we've all had that instance at wide receiver if you ever played that position where you're focused on catching the ball instead of – oh, excuse me, you're focused on what you're going to do after you catch the ball instead of just catching the ball and you end up dropping it out of nowhere. You know, easy routine catches you'd make nine times out of ten, you end up dropping because you're more focused – on what you're going to do after the catch. And that's exactly what happened here with Tucker. Tucker had the, if, if Tucker catches that ball, even if he catches it and goes down immediately, the game's over. There's two minutes left. Syracuse is out of timeouts. You North Carolina can pretty much kneel the ball and go home. And instead, Tucker drops the pass. Ball gets back or is given back to, to Syracuse. Um, and, and they end up scoring and taking it to overtime. So, you know, it's, just disappointing, you know. Carl Tucker had the op- opportunity to to end the game and ice the game for the Tar Heels and, and get a win for them, a much needed road win for North Carolina. You know, the first uh, win on the road since the Pittsburgh game last year, um, late in the season, and just couldn't do it. It's just a game of margins, and it's it just seems like this Carolina team is inventing new ways to lose from a, from a fan perspective. They're they're controlling games. They're putting themselves in and giving themselves countless opportunities to ice the game, to end the game, and they're just not doing enough. And I don't know if it's a mental thing where this team just believes they're going to lose because of how the past two two season and a half ha- has gone for them. But, man, it was just disappointing. If Tucker makes that catch, I don't like throwing players under the bus, but you know, guys got to be held accountable. These are Division One athletes. Carl Tucker is a, is a good tight end. And if he just makes a play and is just smart about it and instead just focuses on making the catch – instead of trying to run for the touchdown, and this game's over, and we're having a totally different podcast right now, but that was probably the biggest play for North Carolina in that game, and the biggest reason they lost that game was because, um, you know, Tucker just didn't make a routine catch that he makes, you know, 90% of the time, so um, third big negative for me, not going to touch on this too much, but I just thought the play calling in the fourth quarter was was bad at times. There was that one drive where um, Syracuse fumbled the ball, Carolina recovered it, and, you know, all we need to do is, is really get in field goal range or, or march ourselves down the field a little bit. And instead, we run three plays in a row where we throw deep balls to Anthony Ratliff-Williams, really. 
Um, I can understand doing it on first down, trying to take a chance, but we do it three times in a row and they're all incompletions. And then on fourth down, instead of kicking the field goal, at least giving Freeman Jones about a 56-yard field goal as time expired, at least giving him an opportunity. I'm, I'm going to sit here and say that I, based on how Freeman Jones has played in the last three or four games, he's probably going to miss it. But um, can't take too much away from him. He ended up making a, a big one in the game as well in overtime. So Freeman Jones, at the end of regulation, you know, Carolina runs some stupid plays. All they need is a few yards to get closer, and they end, end up throwing three deep balls down the sidelines when all they really needed was about 10 yards to give Jones – 10, 15, 20 yards to give Jones a better opportunity. Instead, we don't get any yards, and and we end up throwing another deep ball to Anthony Ratliff-Williams on fourth down, where we could have at least given Freeman Jones an opportunity to, to try to make a field goal as time expired, but we didn't. So, to me, play calling was was just atrocious at times in, in the fourth quarter especially, and just some boneheaded plays. We've seen it in the Larry Fedora era where, you know, I can remember about a couple games every season over the past three or four years where there's just been some scratch-your-head, shake-your-head moments for on the offensive side of the ball where you're saying, why are they running that play right now? You know, one of the biggest criticisms of, of some fans that I talk to is the fact that, you know, Carolina does things that are successful, like run the ball over and over, you know, run it 50 yards and, and two carries, and then we won't give the ball to, you know, Michael Carter. Elijah Hood specifically a few years ago, Elijah Hood would run all over guys, and then we'd not give him the ball in the second half or, you know, he'd have 10 carries in the first half for 80 yards, and then the second half he'd get one touch. And it's just confusing play calling and confusing decisions by this North Carolina offensive staff at times. And we saw it again against Syracuse with some of their play calling, especially late in that fourth quarter and even in overtime as well. So um, fourth big negative for me, last negative for me that I'm going to touch on was UNC's defense is just struggling to finish games. They're, they're struggling to for an alpha dog type of player to just step up and make a play whether it's a guy, a guy in the secondary breaking up a pass in overtime or someone on the defensive line sacking the quarterback in overtime. Um, this team's just not doing enough on the defensive side late in games to win, and instead they're choosing to give games up by just not making plays and, and guys just not stepping up. And something we've seen for, you know, for the last 20 years, really, from you know Carolina defenses just doing bonehead things, letting up game-winning drives. It seems like it's just become a habit for this team and a – just a part of the Carolina football culture now, but you know UNC defensively, you know couldn't really ask for more on the offensive side of the ball, scoring 37 points, especially with how ineffective this offense has been at times this year. And you know instead, Carolina just not able to to put it together on both sides of the ball, end up letting up 40 points and and giving away some some really just some soft touchdowns from a Carolina perspective. And you know this defense is just struggling to finish games. They're playing solid at times. Thought they played really well against Virginia Tech. Thought they played okay against Syracuse. But in the end, if you don't make plays down the stretch and you let up game-winning drives or you let up big plays late in the fourth quarter or in overtime, you know, you're going to find it hard to win. So, yeah, that's really my Syracuse review. That's all I'm going to say about the Syracuse game for the most part. Biggest takeaway, if you take any way, anything away from this podcast, is just a weird game. Just a, a weird, weird four hours in in Syracuse, New York, in the Carrier Dome this past Saturday, and um, disappointing for the Tar Heels. Like I always say, though, stick behind this team. Um, we'll see how they do. We'll have a UVA preview podcast coming up later this week. Um, I think Carolina is going to struggle in, in Charlottesville, especially with UVA coming off two big wins against Miami, and then um, in Durham this weekend against Duke, a, a good Duke team as well. So, 
we'll, we'll talk about that game coming up, but continue to stick behind this team. Don't care what your opinions are on the coaching staff, to be honest with you. Stick behind the players because they're they're definitely fighting hard. They're not like they're giving up on the season and or not like they're not putting 100% effort into the game. They're just a couple more things go their, go their way, and this team's 500 and 3-1 and and in the Coastal. So keep staying behind this team. Keep sticking behind them. But final thoughts um, for this podcast. Um, I'm just going to hit you guys with some news um, around the program. Uh, Cades Fortin's dad has been over social media, Twitter, um, basically saying that Fortin should be back in the next couple weeks. Larry Fedora came out earlier this week, actually, and said that three guys were out for the year. Chasserat, which we've touched on already already in the last podcast, wouldn't be surprised to see him transfer. I think that's what you're going to see from Chasserat. I think that's the reason he ended up having wrist surgery. He probably could have kept playing this this season, especially with the fact that, that he's had that injury for a while now in his non-throwing hand and has chose not to get surgery on it till, you know in the middle of the season. So would be surprised to see Surratt play in a Tar Heel uniform ever again, which is a little bit disappointing. He was the Gatorade National Player of the Year, senior year in high school, comes to Carolina and just really underachieves and never really does anything special for North Carolina and may never see him play for Carolina again. Uh, running back Antoine Branch, four-string running back, I guess you could say, for the Tar Heels, out for the year along with Miles Wolfock, who that was my most disappointing to hear is Miles Wolfock out for the year, a guy that stepped in well for Miles Dorn. Um when he was out injured for North Carolina. And it would just be nice to have him back there. You know, now it's 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 a matter of, of can Miles Dorn stay healthy because if Miles Dorn can't stay healthy, then Carolina's looking really short in the secondary, especially at the safety position. So, yeah, disappointing to see that Wolfolk's out for the year and I'm not sure how many games he ended up playing this year. So I don't know. Nah, he won't be able to get – he's not a freshman. So just kind of a wasted year for Wolfolk. I uh, don't think they'll be able to get a medical redshirt for him. So that's disappointing to hear. But – um, biggest thing I want to leave you guys on is, like I've said before, stick behind this program. And if this Tar Heel team on both sides of the ball can just find a way to win, can just stick together, they can still turn the season around. But time's ticking. And if, if they lose to UVA this weekend, um, it, it might be the, the final straw for North Carolina because it's really going to take them out of um, contention to, to get into a bowl pretty much. And it's, it's just going to be tough for them to to get to, to, to a bowl game, especially with the fact that they've got to play State and Duke, uh, two big rivalries, rivals later in the year. And, you know, and over the past few years, Carolina's just struggled to beat them as well. So Carolina's got to get the ball rolling against UVA if they want to have any chance of getting to a bowl game. And, man, I'm just, just it was just a tough weekend to, to be a Carolina fan. Or, excuse me, a Carolina football fan. Everybody else is playing right now is men's soccer, women's soccer, field hockey is doing pretty pretty darn well um, for, for the Tar Heels. So been a good uh, fall period for Carolina Athletics if we could just get the full football team to turn around it might be a little bit different of a story all around for the Carolina Athletic Department this season but that's going to do it for me guys Uh, I appreciate you guys listening once again Um, go heels no matter what win or lose stick behind this team stick behind Carolina Um, it'll it'll all turn around and in, in a few years I'm very confident we'll be looking back and 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 be a winning football program again it's just going to take some time because in my opinion the talent's there the program the facilities North Carolina has and the facilities North Carolina is building is turning North Carolina into a really top level team or not team right now excuse me definitely not a top level team but a top level program in terms of all around stadium uh, talent on this team indoor football practice facilities outdoor practice facilities uh even down to to Jordan brand sponsorship on the jerseys. You know, Carolina's one of, I believe, four teams in the country. Florida, Oklahoma, 
us and might be forgetting another team, but I believe that's it. And so Carolina, you know, is, is up there in terms of, of a program. They just got to find a way to start winning, but they're not doing it right now. So thanks for listening, guys. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Carolina Talk Pod. Give, give me any feedback, any questions you want me to have on this podcast. I've been getting a lot of great feedback from fans, players, you know, former players, guys in the NFL right now have been interacting on some of my tweets. So really happy to see that. And long may that continue. This is a podcast for the fans. This is a podcast from a a true diehard North Carolina fan and going to have a few more guys on the next couple of weeks to, to, uh, to talk about uh, Carolina athletics and talk about Carolina football. And, you know, as we get closer to basketball season, first game, obviously coming up in less than a month now, beginning of November, starting to dive into to basketball a little bit more too, but that's going to do it for me guys. Like I've already said a couple of times already, it's time for me to go and appreciate you guys listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Jump across the ceiling, monks, let's up on fluff Someone's fucking jump, yo, I bust them in the eye And then I-